Well, it's good to be with you this morning. Uh, while Chad's on vacation, he's asked me to fill in, and uh, I'm privileged to be here. By the way, the junior high worship team did an amazing job this morning. Well, we're in a series uh, titled, What If It's True? What If It's True? And last week, uh, you know, Chad talked about how we can trust the Bible. In this series, we're tackling some pretty uh, big topics, pretty serious things, big, huge topics. Now, the, re- the reality Chad talked about last week is that the Bible has more proof of, of its authenticity than most ancient texts that we take for granted are true. The Bible that we read today, the Bible that you have in your pews or that you brought with you this morning, is is essentially the same as the one that the early Christians would have read, the same texts and letters. And Chad challenged us to read God's Word, the Bible, and to realize that this is the story of God. He pointed out that the Bible points us to Jesus. Well, we're going to tackle another big topic this morning, another really big topic. And serious reflection, I believe, is an important thing, a very important thing. And so this morning, because it is morning, and it's Sunday morning, and most of you are kind of have hit pause on the weekend, um, I want to help you kind of jumpstart your brains before we jump into this. So I'm going to ask you to ponder with me some deep and important questions this morning. So brains on, everybody, kind of engage, get the brain spinning. First of all, just want you to think about these things, and uh, if you have answers, we can talk after the service. But uh, first of all, I was wondering this week, can atheists get insurance for acts of God? Just was wondering about that. If If FedEx and UPS were to merge, would they call it fed up? Just curious about those things. If they arrested the Energizer Bunny, uh, would they charge him for battery? I I thought about this this week too, but I I seriously believe that five out of four people have trouble with fractions. Some of you are going to laugh on the way home. (laughs) Do Lipton employees take coffee breaks? Just Just wondering. Why are they called apartments when they're all stuck together? I mean, what is that all about? Do Roman paramedics call IVs fours? Just wondering, why doesn't glue stick to the inside of the bottle? Just one of those things that keeps me up at night. Is there another word for thesaurus? Just okay. Now, these aren't probably the things that keep most people up at night. They're interesting to think about. They're not real serious questions, but there are serious questions that we face. Some of the big questions that challenge us in living the life that we're called to live. And Chad has asked me to take on another one of those biggies today. Are science and faith compatible? Can science and faith coexist? Now, I know what does keep you up at night. You, you lie awake at night worrying about quarks and the laws of thermodynamics and quantum theory astrophysics and paleontology and evolutionary theory. I know that those things are press on you daily and uh, probably you need to get some sleep. I'm just hoping it doesn't happen this morning during the message. I'll do my best to make that not happen. 
Now, realistically, this will be a message that is going to raise more questions than it will answer this morning. And I will promise you that not everyone uh, is going to agree at the end of the day on everything that we talk about this morning, but that's okay. Because better minds than ours have wrestled with this over the, the millennia. We should probably, by the way, have 10 weeks to cover the topic that we're covering this morning, but this morning is it, so I'm going to try to not get bogged down in too many little details and kind of arcane uh, facts, even though I love that stuff. Um, I've read so many sources over the last few weeks getting ready for this that um, I just want to acknowledge that I've included lots of bits and pieces from a lot of people a whole lot smarter than me, and uh, so uh, you will hear a lot of quotes, and, and rightfully so. I also thought it would be helpful as I get started this morning just to give you a little flyover about me. What are my credentials for speaking on this particular topic? Well, I was trained as a scientist in college, uh, botany and genetics. Um, And then after 17 years in the pharmaceutical industry, I headed off to seminary, and I've been a pastor ever since. So my training and background mean that I have just enough knowledge to be dangerous on everything we're talking about this morning. Um, My background really qualifies me for nothing, if I'm honest, but I did do my homework. So I spent, like I said, several weeks here reading books and papers on astrophysics and cosmology and evolutionary biology and creation theology and philosophy, church history. And truth be told, there is so much of what I read that went right over my head. But I did my best to pull out of the mountains of material what I thought were kind of some relevant points that we should talk about this morning. And I thought, as we talk about a topic that impacts all of our lives, the starting point needs to be God's Word. We are the church, after all. Now, we already saw in that short video clip uh, the creation story from Genesis chapter 1. By the way, if you haven't read it lately, it's a great read. Take time to pull out your Bibles. I highly recommend it. And it is the starting point for today's discussion, asking the question of whether science and faith can coexist. See, one thing's absolutely clear to me after living with that Genesis text for the last several weeks. The Bible clearly says God created. God created. The chapter 1 of Genesis starts off, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. And it says over and over that God was the agent of creation in that story. Now, over the years, science has taken a completely different approach to explaining how everything that exists came to be. And this is where I want to begin this morning. I want to take a little historical... How many of you like history? History? I know there's some teachers out there, so we're going to encourage a little history this morning. Well, science and religion have been battling... (coughs) Excuse me. They've been battling with each other for centuries over how creation uh, happened, how this whole thing that is came to be, um, and without much resolution. And then in the in the <coughs> excuse me, in the early 1600s, Galileo took his telescope and he began scanning the heavens, and he made a discovery, something that rocked the world in his time. He discovered that. The sun and the rest of the solar system don't revolve around Earth. That instead, all of the planets revolve around the sun. 
We're going, yeah, big deal, right? It rocked the world back then. Religious leaders, by the way, were lined up in opposition to him. Other scientists of the day said he was crazy. Religious leaders said this, and this is a quote. They said his work was from the devil. And they said, and I quote again, mathematicians should be banished as the authors of all heresies. Now, I hated math when I was in school, but banishment seemed a little over the top even to me. You know, maybe have them write quadratic equations for all eternity, something like that, but not banishment, perhaps. But ever since scientists began making discoveries that didn't jive with what the priests had been telling people about the origins of the world, we have had conflict. And in recent decades, the gulf has gotten wider and wider. Today, we have scientists who carry on the battle that's been raging. Men like Sam Harris and Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens are are all claiming God can't possibly be a part of the equation of life. There are answers in science, and God is not one of those answers, according to these men. Now, these guys would say this. God was an an invention used to explain away natural phenomenon. We were ignorant people. We didn't know. So we needed something to explain the seasons and famine and earthquakes and the sun in the sky, growing cycles, stars in the heavens. All of that was attributed to a god or gods. But they would say as humanity began to explore, as science began to open up new worlds to us, technology increased, we were able to look deeper into the sky. We were able to look smaller through our microscopes and see the building blocks of life. And they would say that many of the mysteries were explained away. And this scientific advancement has created this huge wedge between science and religion or faith on the other side. And I I want you to know it's not just scientists, though, who are part of the battle today in reconciling the two. Because there there are Christians out there, there are believers who have staked out positions that put them at direct odds with the scientific community. The uh, young earthers are out there, the faithful who say the earth was created in 4004 B.C. They would say that that's all the older that everything that exists is. And those positions, since they fly in the odds of all of the scientific information we possess, put science and faith at odds. So, So where does that leave us? Science has often said that faith is irrelevant. Science has often said faith is irrelevant. Science, as we just said, has dismissed faith in God as mere superstition. What we've ended up with, as Chuck Colson put it in a paper of his I read, he said, Scientism is the belief that scientific investigation is the only means of knowledge. He said, he went this far. He said, scientists believe some today believe that they can even get at the answers to everything, including philosophy and morality through science. That's a stretch by the way, from someone who studied science. That's an extreme position. Boy, that's, that puts us in a difficult place. How does science answer questions about love, about morality, about faith? What it does is it pushes those questions out of bounds to a place where we can't explore them. The questions of why, the questions of who are left on the sidelines. 
He wrote this, science in this extreme mode has begun to believe that with advancing technology and discovery, we can save ourselves. That's an extreme position, not one that all scientists hold. Albert Einstein wrote this, religion without science is blind, science without religion is lame. So that's one side of the coin. Let's look at the, the flip side is the faith community, who has often said that science is simply wrong. And many in the religious community feel that God is somehow threatened if we go out and we explore and we discover this amazing world and the universe that we're in. Somehow God will be threatened if we find out things about this world we believe, that we belong to. And these folks would agree with the priests who wanted to banish Galileo as a heretic. They, want us to, they would have us believe things that are in complete opposition to the science that we possess today, observable findings that we see. And friends, you know what? That position is equally dangerous because it doesn't allow us to ask the questions of how and what and when and base our answers on the available evidence. Now, Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote this. He said, the religion that is afraid of science dishonors God and commits suicide. The religion that's afraid of science dishonors God and commits suicide. So here we are. We're at a crossroads now. I have painted a glum picture, and science and faith are at complete odds with one another. They can't coexist, right? We've pretty much come to that conclusion. Guess we can all go home. Well, not so, because I want to challenge the extremes this morning. I want to challenge the extremes. But I've already gotten into a lot of stuff. I just have to check. Are you still with me this morning? Still out there? All right. Just want to make sure you're still tracking with me and not planning lunch or something else. Because we're going to get into some more detail here. So I want to pop up some dictionary definitions. What is Webster's Dictionary? How do they define science? Webster says science is a systematic knowledge of the physical or material world gained through observation and experimentation. So science is observable, measurable realities, according to Webster. And the definition from Webster's for faith is this. Faith is belief and trust in and loyalty to God. Firm belief in something for which there is no proof. Now why are those definitions important? Because I think they help us see our way out of the divide. Because if you look at the definitions, what are we really talking about? We're talking about two very different sets of questions when we talk about these distinct disciplines. Science asks how and when. Faith asks who and why. Did you get that? Science is asking how and when. Faith is asking who and why. And the conflict is happening because we have staked out ground and we're looking at the other discipline through the lens of the one that we have embraced. And that's a difficult way to have any objectivity around the topic. Now that great scientist, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., wrote this. He said, science investigates, religion interprets. Science gives man knowledge, which is power. Religion gives man wisdom, which is control. Science deals mainly with facts. Religion deals mainly with values. The two are not rivals. They are complementary. What he's saying is exactly what I've tried to say, and that is 
that these two disciplines complement one another. They're looking at the world through different lenses, but complementary lenses. Now, I want to, in full disclosure this morning, let you know I am a creationist. I believe God created all that is. Yet I see absolutely no conflict between being a follower of Jesus Christ and believing the evidence of scientific inquiry. See, I believe in a God who, if he chose to, could create the world in a literal seven days. My God can do that. He's big enough to do that. I believe that's true. But because I believe, I don't have to have the details of how it took place. I don't really have to know if it was a literal seven or not. See, it doesn't matter to me because all I need to know is that God created. And I believe that statement's true. And here's the important part. I don't have to know all those details because the Bible is not a science textbook. I I believe that the Bible tells us who created the universe. It tells us why God created it. And by the way, little secret, the reason God created this is because he wanted to create us so we could be in relationship with him. And we were created to worship. Look, if we get that part right, the rest is details. Chad talked last week about the Bible being the story of God. And I want to reinforce that. Now, I think there's a good comparison for us in how we approach the biblical text on creation. If we look at biblical texts regarding prophecy. I got asked by a group, they said, would you teach us like a... 12-week course on biblical prophecy, and I said, you're not going to like what I have to say. I said, I'm going to give you my biblical course, my course in biblical prophecy. It's going to take about five seconds, and we don't, you know, we don't need multiple weeks. I said, people have argued over the facts of biblical prophecy. Nobody seems to want to agree on it, but here's my understanding after studying scripture. Here it is. Jesus is coming back. Be ready. That's it. Maybe I'm oversimplifying, but I think the creation story, the biblical creation story is like that. The point is God created and he's still creating and he's in control and he wants to be in a relationship with you and with me. He loves us so much he made a place, this earth that can sustain us. I might not understand all of the how, but I do understand who. Science texts, by the way, are not the Bible. They can't answer moral questions about why you and I are here on earth either. Why is there suffering in the world? How does grace work, by the way? Science can't answer that question. Why does God even care about you and and I? Why was the woman who was caught in the act of adultery in the Bible, why was she forgiven? Science can't answer that. Why did Jesus say that the laborers who began late in the day should get the same wage as those who had started in the morning? Science can't answer questions like that. But if we stake out positions in either camp, we end up completely missing the point. So here's where I think we end up and land. At least in in my brain and in my world, this is what it looks like to me. Both science and faith, I believe, should point us to the Creator. Both science and faith should point us to the Creator. After all, God is the author of science as well. Mark 12.30 commands us this way. It says, Love the Lord your God 
with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your what? What's your mind and with all your strength. See, we're not only commanded to love God fiercely, friends, but to do it with our minds as well. We are thinking beings. God created us to use this. In Genesis 1.27, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. What does it mean to be created in the image of God? I believe that our ability to use our mind, to think, to analyze, to uh, explore, is part of what makes us fully human. It's what makes us a creation made in the image of God. We're instructed to use our minds to worship. Being a Christian doesn't mean shut your brain off and just go by faith. Our minds should inform our faith because faith is not blind. Friends, it means that we believe in a God with all our hearts, and then we use our brains for Him, use our minds to explore this world. By the way, in Genesis 1, the end of that passage, it says we're to have dominion over the whole earth. The only way that's possible is if we engage our brains, and we use the faculties God gave us so that we care for and we take good care of this world that we live in. I want you to th- let's think about it in a different way. All of this has been rather esoteric. Let's let's talk about some real practical things for a second. In the 1940s, people died from infections that we now can easily treat with antibiotics. There was a girl recently played here in the state basketball tournament, and I believe just a couple days after having her appendix removed. That's what science has done for us. Laser surgery. Which, by the way, in the paper this morning saw the ad, $495 per eye. But then you have to read the fine print. But anyway, laser surgery can now allow you to see without corrective lenses. Just a few weeks ago, astronauts added a 17.5 ton addition to the space station while orbiting 220 miles above the Earth. See, science has changed our world. One pastor wrote this, he said, because of science, we know that right now, even though you have no sensation of movement, we're sitting here at Maple Grove Covenant Church, everything seems pretty stable and fixed, but that's far from the truth. Because right now, this planet that we're on is spinning on its axis at 1,000 miles per hour. Do we, we forgot to tell you all to buckle up this morning when you sat down. And not only that, but you are traveling through space at 66,600 miles per hour. Before the day is done, you will travel 1.3 million miles in your annual trek around the sun. And you thought you had nowhere to go today. (laughs) You know, if the earth was one degree closer to the sun, we'd cook. If it were one degree further away, we'd freeze. If the moon were closer or further away, the tides would either overwhelm us or there wouldn't be enough movement in the ocean so nutrients would circulate and the oceans would die. If Jupiter was further away, comets and asteroids would crash into Earth. If Jupiter were any closer, our orbit would become unstable and we couldn't function. And I could go on and on. It's amazing how it all works together. And science reveals these things to us, but science can't tell us Who did this? Who put it in place? Only God. Only God. Science, friends, has engaged in a never-ending quest to find the origins of life. 
And every time a new discovery gets made, science pats himself on the back and they get all excited and celebrate how smart we are. Because I think they, some scientists really do believe that we're going to find the meaning of life as we search through science. And when that happens, God gets pushed to the margins. Only one problem. Science, as I already said, can tell us how things work, but they can't tell us who set it all in motion. If you believe in the Big Bang Theory or not, the Big Bang still required someone or something to initiate it. You can, you, science can tell us, by the way, what cow's milk is made of. They can analyze it and tell you down to the last little detail. But I don't know of a scientist in the world who can take grass and water and make it into milk. Can't be done. They, they know exactly, by the way, what our bodies are made of. They've analyzed us down to the gram, every little chemical and compound that makes up your body. And some scientists have tried mixing it all together in the lab, but no one's ever created life. No scientist has ever created life. Life's filled with mysteries. One doctor said, even today, we don't understand how your ear and auditory system functions as an information processor, analyzer, and pattern recognizer. He says, all from a set of chemical events that are set off when a few vibrations hit your eardrum. He said, embryology is nothing but describing how a fetus develops over time. Little's known about how it occurs or how certain sets of cells know how to become a heart, how to form an eye, how to form an ear, let alone end up in the right place. We just, we just don't know. Francis Collins, who I read his book, The Language of God. Um, Fra- Francis Collins is one of the world's leading scientists. He led a team of 2,000 scientists who decoded the human genome. Three billion characters in the human genome. Now, when he got done, he could have stood up on the platform in front of the press and said, We have discovered the meaning of life. God is now irrelevant. Could have done that. But he didn't. He said this, this is his quote, this reinforced my belief in God. He called the DNA code that he had discovered, unraveled, and mapped out the language of God. See, we understand genetics, but not the specific reasons behind the processes. We're just one small part of God's creation, friends. Yet the Bible says God cares for our smallest concerns, that he knows the details of our lives. I don't know about you, but the more I've studied science, the deeper I go into this, the more I discover how small I am and how important it is to get my head around the idea that there has to be a God who orchestrates it all. President Roosevelt said this. He said it was easy to get a big head being president, most powerful man on earth, So when he and his advisors were meeting in the Oval Office, they would, at night, they would step out on the terrace, he said, and stand and look up at the sky for five to ten minutes. And then he would turn to his colleagues and say, okay, gentlemen, I think we're small enough now to continue the meeting. The psalmist wrote this, When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you have set in their courses, what are mortals that you should be mindful of them? Mere human beings that you should seek them out. I've already said this, but I believe science and faith go hand in hand. And as a scientist, the more I study, the more I thought my God is greater than I realized. I hope as you look at the world around you, you realize that God is greater than what you've imagined. Because I believe that all of life requires faith. 
Now, sitting out in a room with this many people, some of you today are highly unsatisfied with the unanswered questions. Some of you aren't sure what to think because you've been told that the creation account must be read literally in our Bibles. So here's the conundrum we face. There are no answers for some of the questions. How's that for helpful today? Look, science calls unexplainable issues, things that come up, they call it theory. Theories are simply things we can't fully explain, that we have to accept without full proof. I don't know about you, as a person of faith, you know, religion, we call that faith in my part of the world too. Science and faith are two realities, each reflecting the glory of God. But each one has its own limitations. And I wanted to read just a few verses from one of my favorite uh, parts of Scripture in Job, if I can get my Bible to, to get me there. Find the right verse here. Can you, this is Job chapter 38, starting verse 31, says, Can you bind the beautiful Pleiades? Can you loose the cords of Orion? Can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons or lead the bear with its cubs? Lead out the bear with its cubs? Do you know the laws of the heavens? Can you set up God's dominion over the earth? Can you raise your voice to the clouds and cover yourself with a flood of water? Do you send the lightning bolts on their way? Do they report to you? Here we are. Who endowed the heart with wisdom or gave understanding to the mind? Look, there are some things. Job was questioning God and God said, look, there are some things too big for you. There are still things in our lives. I know we want answers to everything, but there are some things, friends, that are simply beyond us that have to be accepted on faith. It doesn't mean, though, that we stop exploring. The Greek word for disciple is methetis, which literally means learner. A disciple someone who never stops wondering and analyzing and seeking. God does not contradict himself. I would venture to say that if your science and your faith are at odds with one another, if you have tension over that, one of the two is messed up. You either have bad science or you've got bad theology. Because I believe that they can work together to interpret God's creation and reveal God himself to us. So here's what it all comes down to today. We've gone for a while here. I want to I wrap this up and, and just say, here's what I believe it all comes down to. If you, in, in your Bibles, in Genesis chapter 1, the, the first words in your Bible are these. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Only God was there in the beginning. Only God is eternal. Did you know that in Genesis 1, God is the subject of almost every verb? God said occurs ten times. And God saw that it was good is in there seven different times. Friends, the Bible is not a science text. Science seeks to help us understand how, when, and what. But the deeper you dig into the science, the more questions of who come up, I believe. You begin to discover there's this amazing complexity and precision and interconnectedness of all the parts of God's creation. The more unanswerable questions we have, the deeper we dig. And I believe honest questioning will lead us to God as the only possible answer to the questions of who and why.
Why are we here? Who caused all this to happen? What's the meaning and purpose of life? Those are not questions science will ever solve. Both science and theology are trying to do the same thing. Find meaning and make sense out of our existence. Now, nowhere in the Bible, by the way, is there an attempt to prove that God exists. It's not in there. It's simply assumed that God exists. Everything points to the God who was revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ. The Bible is focused on who, not how. And don't get wrapped up in those useless arguments because you will not win. There are not answers, I believe, to most of the questions people are struggling over and they've become divisive. Hebrews 11.3 says this, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. In the beginning, God is what it's saying. In this series, Chad said, we're going to lean into the words of Jesus that said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. So what truth can we know this morning? The truth is this. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. The point of the Bible, the point of the natural world around us is not to point to the creation, but to the creator. Not to point to the creation, but to the creator. Did you get that? It's a subtle difference, but it's an important one. The point of Scripture is not to figure out how old the earth is or what happened to the dinosaurs. It's to point us to a God who created a natural world and who created us. And because He didn't want us to just know about Him, but wanted us to really know Him, He sent Jesus into this created order of His to reveal Himself to us so that we could be in personal relationship with Him. We haven't even come close this morning, sadly, to solving the debate between science and faith. But here's what I want you to go home with today. I don't think we have to. I don't think we have to. Not only can't we, I don't think we have to. Because for me, it's enough to know that the God who loves me, that the God who created you and me, who created this planet that's ideally suited to sustain your life and my life, that that God is still in control. And whether you look through a telescope to the heavens or a microscope or through the Bible, the intent of the Creator was that you would see and be drawn into personal relationship with Him through this world He's created and revealed to us. Um, I'm going to ask you to bow with me for the offering at this time. Father God, um, you have created all things. Lord, including these, uh, this stuff we call money that we carry around, which seems sometimes somewhat irrational, but you created it as a means for us to function here. And Lord, um, you asked us to freely give back to you from what you've given to us. As a creator of all things, we give back to you just a portion today of what you've blessed us with. Receive our gifts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.